Well, hey, good morning, church. Merry Christmas. It's so good to be together. Thanks for joining us this morning. You know, when we look back and want to see who's really committed to church, we're going to look at the attendance for this morning. So congratulations on being here the day after Christmas. If you were here Christmas Eve and this Sunday morning, double pat on the back. Good job. Uh, Merry Christmas. I hope you had a wonderful time celebrating with your family. I love the connection in that video that we just watched to Christmas and worship. I loved worshiping with our team this morning. They did such a good job leading us. And in that video, it said, what response will we bring? We will bring our voices. And so this morning, I want to talk about how worship is the right response to Christmas. Uh, Next week, we're going to be back in our first Timothy series. We're going to be finishing that up. We just finished our arrival series on Christmas Eve. That was a great series. If you missed it, you can go back and watch that. But for today, it's just a standalone message on this topic of worship. I want to dive deep into worship. First, again, I just want to wish you a Merry Christmas. I hope that you had a wonderful day with your family. I've got a question for you with it being the day after Christmas. I want to start with a little bit of fun. Who received a weird Christmas present this year? Anybody? Did anyone get like a weird something or other at a white elephant gift? I want to look at a list of the five weirdest Christmas gifts that I could find on Amazon. I spent way too much time researching this part of the message, but it was a lot of fun. So here's number five, an umbrella hat. That is fantastic and wonderful. Rain or, or shine, this, this is a good gift that you could pass along to your weird Uncle Bob. You know, if you've got Christmas next week with your distant, distant relatives, this is something you could give. The second weird Christmas gift I found was lightsaber chopsticks. And these are just fantastic. I, I would really like a pair of these. These are great for your kids who enjoy sushi. I don't know if any of you have kids who like sushi. Her smile is creepy, <laughs> to say the least. Also great for a Star Wars-themed date night, if you, you know, want to go that route. It'd be kind of weird. This next one is actually really great. Pulled pork meat claws. It's so much easier than a fork and knife, right? And when you get to Halloween, you can just use them as part of your Wolverine costume in October. So pretty awesome. I would actually like, like a pair of those. Um, next one, a toothbrush that cleans all of your teeth. Weird, but it works. As someone who uh, has to help my four-year-old brush his teeth every single night, I actually think this would be really helpful. So next year for Pastor Appreciation Month, if you guys would like to pass one of these along. No, I'm just kidding. And then finally, this was my favorite one, a French fry holder for your cup holder. I always struggle with this. The French fries never fit quite right. If you want to go multi-use with it, you can attach it to your belt as well and carry your fries with you. This is just a fantastic gift to pass along next year. So hopefully you can add these to your wish list for for 2022. (laughs) This morning, I want to talk about um, a a more important gift than these. I want to talk about worship as a gift that we can give to God, and also more importantly, as a gift that God gives to us. Worship is a compelling, beautiful gift that God gives us as his people that we get to participate in. So I want to dive deep into the topic of worship and and what it means for us as his people this morning. You know, I think worship is a... um, It sounds like a nice topic, but when we really think about it deeply, we struggle with worship. 
We can get distracted during worship in church. We can get bored during worship in church. We can tune out during worship in church sometimes. When it comes to all of our life, we can just get distracted and lost in the busyness and craziness of our lives, and we can miss worship. We can worship something or someone more than we worship God. And when we do worship God, we can do so with a begrudging or entitled or even selfish spirit. And so worship kind of sounds great as a concept, but the moment we try to put it into practice, man, it can be challenging to do so because we all, we all just struggle with it in our hearts. I know I have felt this struggle in, in my own heart in different times, different seasons of my life. When I was in middle school, I got really bored during worship in church, and my life was kind of just all about me, to be honest. I was worshiping myself. When I was a college student, I was drawn to worship the approval of my friends because I so wanted a sense of belonging. When I was a young adult in grad school and, and working and all the demands of the craziness of that season, I was tempted to worship success. As a husband and a dad, I want to love my family well, I want to provide for them, but I'm tempted to worship security and kind of an ultimate sense of well-being for my family, which, man, that's a good thing. It's such a good thing, but if it becomes an ultimate thing, it's more important than God. It can actually become dangerous. I even feel the struggle, just to be really honest, as a worship leader. When I'm up here on stage on Sunday mornings, it's so easy to get distracted and to miss making God's glory the main thing and to kind of Put something else in front of that. We struggle to worship God first, and we struggle to worship God rightly. And I don't know where you feel that in your own heart, but I know as a, a broken human that's living in a fallen world that every single one of us feels that struggle someplace in our hearts when it comes to worship. And the good news is that God's word helps us with this struggle. It teaches us how to worship and what worship is. So this morning, I want to define worship, and then I want to look at a big idea from the Bible that will help us to worship. This, this topic is so important. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says this, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Worship is the point of our existence, we're designed to worship. It's the heart of what it means to be human. We see this across all human cultures and all human history. We're hardwired to worship. It's why we were created. It's our eternal purpose. It's actually, it's our true and deepest longing. It's wonderful to give yourself and, and worship to something. Even when we think about Christmas, we praise our Christmas presents and we praise Christmas dinner and how wonderful Christmas is as a holiday. It's so much fun to worship something. We're designed to find our heart's longing in worshiping the Lord. So man, if we miss this topic of worship, we miss something that is so important. So again, this morning, we're gonna define worship and look at a big idea from the Bible that will help us to worship. That's where, where we're headed. Let's pray and let's dive in. I wanna do our prayer a little bit different this morning. Can we read this prayer together as a church family? Let's read this out. Lord God, now as we hear your word, fill us with your spirit. Soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth. Shape our wills that we may desire your ways. Amen. Let's get started in Romans 12.1. This is one of the most famous verses about worship in the Bible, and I think it is one of the most helpful. You can turn there in your Bibles now or pull it up on version. We'll be looking at a number of different passages this morning, and we'll have them all up on the screen. 
so that you can follow along. Romans 12.1 says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a willing and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. There's, there's so many insights about worship in this passage, and I want to look at a couple of them in a minute, but I want to start up front just by saying that culturally, I think we are confused about the definition of worship. And even culturally within Christianity, we're confused about the definition of worship. Worship music has exploded. It has just exploded in the last 50 years in terms of reach and scale, and that's a good thing, but we now have worship artists, we have a worship industry, we have worship radio stations, worship concerts concerts, worship Instagram accounts, worship YouTube pages. It's just insane how far worship culture within Christianity has spread. And that's a good thing again, but there's such a temptation to define worship narrowly only as music. And if we do so, we miss the point of what worship is really about. It's about God and about his glory. And this passage here, Romans 12, 1, defines worship as giving not just part of ourselves to God, not part of our time, not part of our money, not our music, but giving all of ourselves to God, giving our actual bodies to him. Our entire lives is an act of worship to God. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message in Romans 12.1, his kind of modern paraphrase of scripture. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. I love that. And place it before God as an offering. That, that's worship, your whole life lived to the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, nothing is excluded from worship. Do it all for the glory of God. Even mundane, normal things like eating and drinking, whatever you do, do it for God's glory. That's worship. It's giving God the entirety of our lives. That's what worship is. Now, how do you get to the point where you live that out, where you want to give your life joyfully to God with, with all that you are. I know in my own heart, I, I struggle to live that way 24-7. It's not easy. How do you become that kind of person? Well, Romans 12.1 tells us it's a response that worship, rather, is a response to God's gift of the gospel. Look again at that verse. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. It's because of what God has done for us that we're called to give our lives to him in worship. So what is it that God has done for us? Well, God in Jesus gave us his very self. On Christmas, he came as a baby so that we could know God. He was the word of God who revealed who God was to us. And then on the cross, he died for us. Jesus literally gave us his body. And so this passage isn't calling us to give something to God that he hasn't already given to us. Jesus gave us his body to save us, so we're called to give him our bodies in worship to him. 
I think there's something about seeing Jesus sacrifice clearly that helps us to live a life of worship for him. There's an illustration of this, and this is a weird place to find it, but in the movie Beauty and the Beast, how many of you have seen that movie as a kid? Remember watching that? There's this moment where Belle flees the castle, and she doesn't want anything to do with the beast. She's done with him. She wants to go back to her normal life, and she's riding her horse through the night, and she begins to be chased by a pack of wolves. And the wolves... uh, throw her from her horse and she lands in the snow and she's about to get attacked by these wolves and then all of a sudden the beast comes roaring in and he saves the day and he throws the wolves against the rocks but in the process of that he gets scratched and and bitten and wounded and he collapses in the snow and there's this kind of profound turning point moment where Belle you can kind of see it in her face in the animated movie she wants to flee but the beast has just sacrificed himself for her and something about that changes her heart and so so she goes back to the castle with him and actually goes from running from him one moment to caring for him. An act of sacrifice transformed her heart. And I think that's a theme that plays out in movies and stories all across our culture, that a self-giving, sacrificial act of love can transform the heart of the one who receives that sacrifice. And the same is true. I, the same is true in our, our relationship with God. I think that theme shows up in so many stories because it's true of the ultimate story in Christianity that Jesus has sacrificed for us. And when we see that, it transforms our hearts. We could flip the illustration a little bit because Belle, in some ways, is a. Um, She's a deserving recipient of the beast sacrifice. You know, she's, she's beautiful, she's kind. Imagine if Belle had been harsh to the beast or rude or mean or, or wounded him in some way and he had still sacrificed for her. That's what we have in Christianity, that we've rejected God and rebelled against him and still Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself for us. So again, how does this connect to worship? Here's kind of a, a definition that I wanna land on, on worship for this morning. And uh, you can skip ahead a little bit, Jim, here in the slides. Worship is joyfully giving God the entirety of our lives because of all he's given us. Let me just read that again. Worship is joyfully giving God the entirety of our lives because of all he's given us. It's right that we should give God all of our lives. It's, it's the right thing to do. We have a moral obligation to do so. But I also want to note that it's joyfully giving that to God, that worship in and of itself is something that is not only a duty, but it's also a delight. It's good for our hearts. C.S. Lewis talked about this in his book, Reflection on the Psalms. Lewis really struggled when he was early on in his faith journey. He wondered why God was constantly commanding his people to praise him in the Bible. Because when we think about humans, if someone constantly wants a compliment, it's pretty annoying. Does anyone know anyone like that? (laughs) Someone who constantly wants to be spoken well of? That's not a, a virtue when it comes to humanity. So how is it that God could do that? Was he wrestled over this and thought about this, here's kind of the conclusion that that he came to. C.S. Lewis says this, all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Readers, their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, 
Phrase of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages. That's kind of a fun way to say personages. <laughs> Children, flowers, and mountains. There's all these things that we praise as human beings. And then he says this, we delight in praising what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. So don't miss this. Worship is, is a delight. It's so much fun to worship something. Think of your favorite restaurant. Don't you love telling your friends about it? Think about your favorite show on TV. You love encouraging other people to watch it, right? Think about Christmas. Part of the fun of Christmas is praising the Christmas meal and praising the Christmas presents. Imagine if you got a present and we're just kind of like, eh, thanks, and then moved on. <laughs> you'd offend the person that gave you the gift and you'd miss out on part of the fun. So to praise something is enjoyable, And this is true with God as well, that if God is the source of all goodness and beauty and truth and and love, then to praise him is our greatest good and our greatest enjoyment. That God would invite us to praise him is a beautiful thing because he is so loving and so good. And so worship is a gift that God gives to us. It's joyfully giving the entirety of our lives to God because of what he's done for us. So that's what worship is. Now I want to look at a big idea from the Bible that I think will help us to worship. Because as we said earlier, worship is not easy. We can get distracted. We can get lost. We can miss worshiping God. We can put something else in front of God. So let's look at a big idea from the Bible that I think will help us to worship. It's that God invites us to worship with our head and our hearts. God invites us to worship with our head and our hearts. First, let's look at how God invites us to worship with our head. In Mark 12, 30, it says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I love how God invites us to worship him with different parts of who we are as people. Can you imagine if worship was just the same thing over and over and over and over again, how boring it would get? I love that our God is creative and that he invites us to love and worship him in in different ways with different parts of who we are. One of the most important ways that we can worship God is with our minds, with our thinking. We see this in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, where it says this. Paul's actually talking in this passage about speaking in tongues, which we don't have time to go into this morning, but he makes an important point about how important it is to sing worship with our minds. He says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will also sing praise with my mind, with my mind also. Paul is saying that he wants God's people, he wants God's people to be engaged mentally, when they sing. He doesn't want us just to tune out or to kind of lose focus or just to kind of go through the motions emotionally or spiritually. We need to be thinking with our minds about what we are singing about. We also see this collect, uh, connection in a beautiful way in Colossians 3.16, which says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You can go ahead and leave that on the screen for just a moment here. Do you guys see the connection here? Obviously, worshiping God through our teaching and admonishing one another is part of of worshiping God and in corporate worship as we gather together. But part of that also involves singing. 
There's a sense where when we sing God's truth through songs that are full of scripture, that we're admonishing and teaching one another as we sing. There's this really neat connection in the Bible between singing and teaching, and those are designed to work together holistically. Songs are so powerful when it comes to teaching us, aren't they? We teach our kids the ABCs early on so that they can learn the alphabet. We are teaching Caden the days of the week song right now in my house so that he can learn Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and he's catching on really quick. We ourselves uh, probably can't memorize paragraphs and paragraphs of text, but most of us have memorized probably hundreds of songs that we could sing all of the words to without missing a single word because music is so powerful when it comes to helping us remember. Music affects our bodies in some really neat ways. Our heartbeat will sink to the tempo of music. It'll speed up for a fast song. It will slow down for a slower song. In music, our right and our left brain is engaged, and so there's like wiring that's taking place while you're playing an instrument or singing a song. Music is just incredibly powerful in how it teaches us and how it shapes our hearts. I I found this in my own life in an interesting way a couple years ago. This was back before I had kids and I had a lot more time on my hands. I would listen to music on Spotify and I would try to get a sense of, okay, what are like the cool trends in music? What's coming next? I wanted to try to incorporate some of that stuff into the worship that we were doing with the students. And so I formed all these playlists. I sent them to friends. I spent hours and hours listening to music, kind of the top 40 songs of the day. And what I found after a couple months and even a year, is that these songs were um, not only playing over and over again in my mind, but they were also starting to shape what I thought about and what I wanted and what I longed for even. The songs were having a, a deeper impact on me than I intended. And there wasn't anything wrong with listening to, to secular music, though listening to it as much as I was wasn't necessarily helpful for the life of discipleship. It, it, it was shaping my heart in, in ways that I just didn't intend. And so I think the soundtrack of your life has a big impact on who you are. It reflects who you are. You probably listen to songs that you, you like what it talks about, but it's also true that if you change your music, you can change your mind. If you change the kind of music that you listen to, it can powerfully influence how you think about a situation. I have a mentor, uh, a pastor, who when he hits a tough season of ministry, he will find one song and he'll listen to it like 20 times on repeat, just so that the message of that song will sink deeply into his heart. Music is is so powerful. It's shaping us in that way. So one of the practical applications that I want to encourage you to try is take a worship song in five minutes in your quiet time, five, 10, 15 minutes, read through the words, and then think about that song really theologically. Look for connections to Bible verses. Look how verse one, verse two, verse three fit together. If it's a well-crafted song, there will be a progression. Then when you sing that song in church, you'll be able to sing it so much deeper. And you may find that if you take time meditating deeply on a song, that God might use that song during your week to help you with a difficult situation or help you live out the themes and ideas that are in that song. I did this the other day with the song 10,000 Reasons, which we sang this morning. I love that song. But man, that song has been around for a long time, and we have sang it 10,000 times in Christian culture, haven't we? (laughs) 
such a good song, though. I love it. I want to walk through just the, the lyrics of this and just kind of model this for you and draw out what, what I saw in these lyrics. In verse one, it says, the sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass, whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. What a beautiful, poetic um, representation of Romans 12.1. We worship God at the beginning of the day. We worship God at the evening. Whatever may pass, whatever lies before me, God, let me worship you in all of it. It's an amazing statement of what worship is. And then the chorus, bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul, worship his holy name. We might be tempted just to kind of blow past that chorus as just repetition of worship God, worship God. But as I thought about the words, um, the word holy stood out to me. And I just started to think, man, what does it mean that God is holy? How is that connected to worship? And then when I got to verse two, I realized verse two is a description of God's holiness. Look together with me at this. You're rich in love, slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. The holiness of God is his greatest attribute. It's all of his attributes put together in this beautiful, blazing holiness. And so it's his love that he's slow to anger, that he's great and transcendent and above us, and yet comes to, to serve us and love us. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing. What an amazing description of who God is. And then finally in verse three, on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. What a powerful reminder that we are finite, that, that at one point our lives will have an end, that we'll stand before God. If we've trusted in Jesus through faith, that still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. I gotta be honest, when I approached 10,000 Reasons, I, I wasn't really sure what I would get out of it. And I was just stunned with a simple song like that, how much poetry and intentionality and rich content from scripture there is. As a worship leadership team, we really try to pick songs that are just full of God's truth from his word. And so I'd encourage you to do that with any of the songs that we sing here at First Free. Take a couple minutes and engage with them in your quiet time. And it might be really neat to see what God shows you. Finally, God invites us to worship him with our hearts. And I think this is really the part of, of the message and preparing for this message that hit me most deeply. And, and Mark 12 30 says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Our heart is the deepest part of who we are. It's the very essence of a person. It's who we are with all the mask removed that we used to hide. It's who we are as God sees us. When we worship God with our heart, we worship him with our, our whole person, deeply authentically, personally, truly. And that's what it means to worship him with our heart. And there's a part of this that I think we can miss because we tend to be pretty cognitive and pretty theological, especially here at First Free. And I think that's a good thing. We've got such a, a long heritage of um, strong doctrine and kind of engaging strongly with our minds when it comes to worship and teaching and sermons. I think sometimes there can be a, a temptation, though, when we come to church to sort of check our hearts at the door and to maybe bring a version of ourselves to worship that is a little bit put together, that's maybe um, kind of keeping at home the things that are really going on, the hurts, the struggles, the vulnerabilities, the insecurities that we have. 
man, God invites us to bring our hearts to him. He invites us to bring our emotions. And we see this in the Psalms. Sometimes we can think about the Psalms as the devotional literature of David and Moses and the sons of Korah. And there are moments that are devotional in nature in the Psalms. But the Psalms were really the hymn book of Israel. It was the songs that God wanted his people to sing when they gathered together for corporate worship. And so in the Psalms, we see this amazing invitation from God to bring all of who we are to worship, to bring our minds, to bring our hands, and to bring I think incredibly importantly, to bring our hearts, to bring our emotions. Look with me, and I'll have this up on the screen here. Look with me at Psalm 42. I'm going to read kind of some excerpts from this. We won't read the whole psalm. As I read through this, I want you to look at the emotional language that is present in the psalm. Pay attention to words that somehow connect to human emotion. Psalm 42 says this, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O oh God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I have only tears for food. Well, my enemies taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of the great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I'm deeply discouraged. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Wow, that psalm is like an emotional roller coaster. It's all, even, even to read it, to try to read it emotionally, you feel the highs and, and you feel some of the lows of what David is saying there. There's an incredible range of emotion. By my count, there were like 12 or 13 different emotions in this psalm alone. There was longing for God, eagerness for God, sorrow, heartbreak, joy, thanksgiving, discouragement, feeling abandoned, feeling oppressed, and then hope having a sense of perseverance, and having a sense of confidence. Again, what an incredible range of emotions all to be sung within the same worship song. It it strikes me that God wanted his people to bring those emotions to him in worship, and that he even wanted his people to bring those emotions to him together in worship, that he put all of those emotions within the same song. And I think there's something really powerful about music where that can happen. Music creates space for two different emotions that seem opposed to each other to actually exist side by side. And so within a song, you can have fear about the future, and you can also have confidence that God will save and rescue you. You can have great sadness and a sense of joy that God will redeem what's been broken or lost. Music is just incredible and beautiful in that way, and it's so important that we bring him our emotions in worship, both here Sunday mornings in corporate worship and during the week so that we can experience some of that gift that God wants to give us in worship. I felt this um, really personally in in my own life a couple of months ago. Um, Amber and I had a chance to record a podcast with Adam where we talked about walking through a miscarriage and all the, the lows of that and the confusion and the hurt and the anger that we felt and how God worked incredibly through this church to walk with us as we went through that journey. But early on in that journey, 
Um, it was May of 2020, the pandemic was going on. It was easy to kind of just check out personally for me from worship. Even as someone who worked on staff and worship, there was this temptation for me to kind of leave what had happened off to the side. And I was frustrated about it. I was angry. And I definitely didn't want to bring that to God in worship. And there was this one Sunday morning where I felt God really strongly laying it on my heart to engage in Sunday morning worship. And of course, back then, that just meant logging onto the computer and and watching the service if, if I was home that morning, and I was. But I just felt God saying, hey, Andrew, don't miss this Sunday morning. You need to log log on and engage. That morning, Noah Glyshaw led worship. He's one of our student ministry interns, and so I had worked with Noah over the years. And Noah led the song, Do It Again, by Elevation Worship, which has the words, great is your faithfulness, God. Your, your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. Great is your faithfulness. And I needed to hear those words that morning. Particularly, I needed to hear that I was still in God's hands. That even after what had happened to me and and to my wife, that God was still holding us. And I felt that truth so powerfully. Now that didn't get rid of the anger that I was feeling or the confusion or the hurt, but the song created space where I could feel all of those negative emotions, but also have the sense that God was still gonna walk with us and that God was still gonna be faithful to us in that journey. And he, he was so beautifully. So, I want to encourage you, bring your emotions to God in worship. Bring them on Sunday morning. What if we could be a church where we just worship God with all that we were, all of our hearts just overflowing in passionate praise? And bring your emotions to God throughout the week. Take, take time during your day to listen to good Christian music and just pour out your heart to God. One way that you could apply this, you could take a specific situation that you're feeling strongly about and listen to a song that connects to that situation and just practice pouring out your heart before God. We, we tend to sing so many songs that are happy in church that we're not as practiced with lament and bringing God our, sad, our songs of sorrow and heaviness. And so this is a good skill to, to practice and to try to cultivate. God invites us to bring him our hearts and worship. And he wants us to worship with our heads. He wants us to worship with all of ourselves. I think it takes um, a lot of trust and confidence in God to bring him all of ourselves in worship. But friends, he's so trustworthy. He is so worthy of our trust. And when we know that we can trust him, we'll bring all of who we are to him in worship. Yesterday for, uh, for Christmas, my father-in-law gave my son Caden a new bike. And little kids are often scared of new bicycles. And so Caden didn't want to ride it at first. And we were kind of bummed because we were really excited for him to go try it out. And so we were talking with Caden. We said, hey, buddy, we will, we'll walk with you and like put our hands on you. And we promise we won't let go of you. And he kind of looked up and said, you promise? And we said, yeah, we promise. And he was like, okay. I'll ride the bike, you know? And so we got on it and we held on to him. And then of course, like 10 seconds later, he was like, all right, let go, you know? And he was just off. But man, God has promised to, to walk with us through whatever we are walking through. We can trust him with our whole hearts. We can bring him our whole hearts in worship. So let me just briefly recap where we've been this morning. We've seen that God invites us to worship with our head and our hearts I'd love for you to think a little bit about which one of those you want to apply to your your own personal life. Maybe you need to bring more of your mental energy to engage with worship on Sunday morning. Maybe you need to make a commitment to 
arrive a little bit earlier at the service. We feel that struggle at our house. Man, it is so hard sometimes to get out the door on time and to come into worship focused and ready to give God our all. I remember a couple years ago, I kept getting uh, just really distracted during worship and I realized it's because I was eating like four donuts on Sunday mornings. (laughs) So maybe it's just making a small, simple change. You know, waking up a little bit earlier, eating healthy, coming into worship kind of prepared and ready to go, ready to mentally engage. Or maybe for you, it's bringing your heart to God. Maybe there's a part of your life that you've kind of kept off to the side for a long time. And maybe it's time to bring that to God. Maybe he wants to give you a, a good gift of experiencing him in that. Let me return as we close here just to that definition of worship. Worship is joyfully giving God the entirety of our lives because of all that he has given us. Let's be a church that does that on Sunday mornings. Let's be a church that does that Monday through Saturday, all that we are for the glory of God. And we we get to do that now in our singing as the worship team comes back out to lead us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the gift of worship that you give us. We don't deserve your goodness, Lord. Um, We have is, is your people have so often turned against you and rebelled against you and ignored you or not paid attention to you. And still you keep inviting us time and time again to worship you. For anyone who's here this morning who feels really far from you, really distant from you, there's an invitation again to come. And that invitation is always an open door. So God, we do come to you again. We ask that you would help us to be people who truly worship you in all that we do. Help us to worship you now, God, even in this next song we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.